Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. In this issue, a seawall is being proposed to protect properties along coastal Miami-Dade County. There's a lot at stake, and not just the environment. We need this protection. There's $40 billion in assets at risk. Is this really the solution to safeguard against sea level rise? WSVN's Alex Browning has the story. Meanwhile, a South Florida entrepreneur says he's got the answer to battle high water, and it's a practical and stylish alternative. So when you walk in, you've got your regular living room area, your public hosting area, you've got small kitchenette, you know, with appliances, washer and dryer are all an option. And then you've got your secluded bedroom slash office area. What we do is we try to implement uh, Murphy beds and, you know, dual use um, items that will allow us to maximize the space. Maybe the future of coastal Florida will be in the form of floating cities. Whether or not dives into the issues coming up next. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable. This year, count on the seven weather team once again to do what we do best, keep you safe. The latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station, 7 News. Sea level rise projections place most of coastal South Florida underwater in the near future. One proposal being put forth is building a seawall. Is this practical? WSBN reporter Alex Browning has the story. Four years ago, South Florida escaped a direct hit by Hurricane Irma. I mean, I certainly didn't expect Brickell Avenue to be waist deep in water. You know, you're seeing just traffic stacked up here, not, uh, not Biscayne Bay. But the power of this Cat 4 storm forced water from Biscayne Bay into Brickell streets. A federal study into how to protect Miami underway. We need this protection. There's $40 billion in assets at risk. And while there is virtually no disagreement that neighborhoods like this one along the bay need protection from storm surge and flooding, there is different views on how to get there. And the fears locally here from both the public and private sectors is that a barrier like this one would cost Miami-Dade County millions in tourist revenue and in property values. Who wants to live in, in, in an enclosed wall? That's completely unacceptable and it's never going to happen. Miami Commissioner Ken Russell's district includes a majority of waterfront within city limits. He, along with others, working to solve those design concerns. We are encouraging a green hybrid infrastructure solution, which would include berms and levees and mangroves. Local leaders have asked the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to consider a hybrid solution. See, this will become an amenity for the entire waterfront of Miami, a place where we can view the water, not something that blocks the water. And the private sector spending their own money for an alternative as well. The idea is to try and enhance the coastline and as well as protect it. Swire Properties presented this design to the county a few months ago, and they say it's backed by experts in storm mitigation. Be a continuum of the boardwalk, baywalk, um, people can use the waterfront still, um, as well as be safe in the knowledge that when there is a, a hurricane or a major tropical storm, uh, their properties will be protected. As for what residents think of that federally proposed barrier. So we're going to be leaving some kind of compound 
now. So no, I don't agree with it. And so what's next and what does that official plan to solve this problem look like? That remains unclear. It's unclear also when the county will discuss this study again. In Miami, Alex Browning, 7 News. Coming up next, could stylish houseboats be the answer to our high water woes? The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. Michael Saavedra, founder of Modern Structures, says one way to combat high water threat from climate change is to float above it. Bring the houseboat idea, if you will, into the 21st century. I, I did see an article not too long ago about your idea of uh, dealing with the, uh, the climate change that will be impacting South Florida, not in, in the, not in the far future, but in the near future. And uh, your solution was basically to have uh, these high-tech floating homes. Uh, how did you come about this idea? Well, Phil, I'm a South Florida native, and we've um, we've seen every year since I can remember, you know, floods just keep getting a little more common, a little bit higher. So my mother moved to the to near the water a couple of years ago, and we realized that what used to be the seawall is now submerged pretty much a long time of the year. All the neighbors are starting to raise the seawalls. So we, we started looking for an old houseboat, you know, one of the 1970s uh, relics that are still around Miami, those old fiberglass uh, dinosaurs. And it wasn't a good fit for us. You know, it was, uh, we're not looking for that type of, a, of an accessory behind the house. We wanted something modern. Well, my, my question is, um, I, you know, I've traveled to certain places. I've traveled to Amsterdam or even the Pacific Northwest where they do have uh, almost small neighborhoods that are already built. And, and I don't want to say these houseboats because they really aren't. They're almost luxurious, fancy apartments, and they have their own roadways and, and garages. And they have really adapted and taken well to this kind of, of living. Is that what you're striving for here in South Florida? Correct. And when you say that, I mean, uh, Seattle, Portland, a lot of sections of California, They've been doing this for a very long time. They've got, uh, they've got systems in place to protect the water, the environment. They have systems to deal with sewage, you know, a sewage treatment. So it's something where South Florida has taken a negative connotation to. Uh, and they're called floating homes. They're really not houseboats. Correct. They're, they're semi-permanent structures. They follow a building code. There is a laid out plan of how to acquire a license for those, how to get an inspection, how to proceed with building, South Florida has taken the attitude that that's not what they want. They're never going to allow it. And what we're doing is seen kind of like uh, something intangible, uh, but I don't see it that way. Now, give me an idea of what your, your perfect uh, marine home would be. I mean, you would, you would come in and, and give me a description of what it would look like inside. Great. So very much so. See, Miami has the infrastructure in place. And for years, it was allowed to be used in this manner. So uh, a lot of people are not aware, but Key West was really primarily a houseboat community for many, many years until Mr. Flagler decided to run the railroad and the, and the streets down there. So Key West is still a stronghold of uh, houseboats for South Florida. But Dinner Key Marina, for example, which happens to be next door to Miami City Hall, 
Dinner Key Marina has allowed liveaboards for many, many years. They have infrastructure. They've got showers, washing facilities, um, amenities for the guests. And they've got a ton of people that are living on yachts, but they do not allow floating homes or houseboats. They make a distinction between what they consider a power yacht or a motor yacht and a floating home or a houseboat and say the houseboat has a negative connotation, so we don't want it. Um, but it's not what it used to be. It's not, you know, the, for lack of a better word, it's not the hippies that live on the water and, you know, defecate in the water and throw their sea, you know, their leftovers into the water. That's not how it works. Anymore. Right. But now, Lisa, these floating homes, um, uh, how do you envision it? And, and my question, I guess, was give me a description of the actual home. Like you would walk in and is there a living room and a bathroom? Is there an upstairs? So what I did is we took a lot of the a lot of the information that's coming out of the tiny home movement. And, you know, tiny homes are, are really hot right now. People are realizing they can live in a lot less footwork than what than what we're traditionally expecting. So we took a lot of those, you know, adaptations and modified it for living on the water. So when you walk in, you've got your regular living room area, your public hosting area. You've got small kitchenette, you know, with appliances, washer and dryer are all an option. And then you've got your secluded bedroom slash office area. What we do is we try to implement uh, Murphy beds and, you know, dual use um, items that will allow us to maximize the space. So we've got a setup that provides a loft, you know, in addition to the bedroom. And we've got another setup that provides two lofts. And then finally, we're working on our office showroom model, which is only for people who need office space, not necessarily liveaboard. So as, uh, as, as we look at this, and I can see that this would be an easy solution for um, sea level rise along the coast, it would be a way to get around that. My, uh, my big question, though, would be, how are you mitigating against a hurricane or a storm surge, for example, a 20-foot storm surge? Have these things been engineered to meet those kinds of threats? Yes, sir, Phil. So we, um, thankfully in South Florida, we have a lot of marine industries that are still here. I mean, they fabricate a lot in Fort Lauderdale. My understanding is Fort Lauderdale is like the yachting capital of the East Coast. So a lot of these systems are already in place to protect these massive yachts and those investments. Right. So our unit has actually been um, fabricated with all hurricane-proof materials. You know, we happen to come from Broward and Dade, where everything requires a Dade County NOA. So right. we used all the materials in our build with the intention of, in, God forbid, we have to face a hurricane. The units are, are ready to do so. So a lot of people are not aware. Most yachts, uh, when the hurricanes do come, they find a good way to bunker down. So they either will tie themselves in like the middle of the canal and throw ropes to either side, you know, tie themselves right in the middle. You can see this happening in North Bay Village every time there's a big hurricane warning. And then they just tie down. And, and pray. That's what yachts do. I mean, it's it's part of the standard. Now, in marinas, it's a little bit easier because you've got pilings and you've got docks on both sides. So you can literally strap yourself down tight into the docks. And it's almost impossible for the hurricane to get underneath these, the, the wings, because they're, they're on the water. So it's not as dangerous as people would assume. As you move ahead, um, uh, I think the name of, um, of, your, of the boat is the Hauser boat. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. This model is the Hauser boat. And do you have more than one model? Yes, sir. We're working on the, the multiple bedroom model and the office model. It turns out we've, we've gotten a lot of uh, interest from marinas where they do not really want liveaboard, but they need more office space for brokers, uh, VIPs, different types of businesses within the marina. And they just can't do it on the land. I mean, 
Land is, as you and I both know, has gotten very expensive in South Florida, almost unattainable by any standard. And if it's near the water, it's it's absurd. So this is a way for us to still be able to utilize some of these areas that are that are not being properly utilized right now, as far as we can put a lot of infrastructure right over the water. And like you said, in the Netherlands, this is old. In Germany, this is old. On the In the Northwest Pacific, this has been done for a long time. Florida just needs to maybe follow suit and realize that um, the coast is not only for high-end, luxurious condominiums. There are other uses that we can put into it. And believe me, uh, these uh, these floating cities that are out in Europe are are beautiful. You you couldn't tell, you know, if it was on land or not. I mean, it, they are, are are built to such high standards and are very beautifully uh, designed. Uh, so, if somebody comes to you and they're interested in one of these marine homes, um, what what are the price ranges from what to what? So, Phil, our basic model, which is ten foot wide by thirty six feet long, okay starting at 120,000. Now that goes pretty much to 150, depending on the options. Now we provide the models turnkey. So we provide all the furniture, all the finishes. We provide the dock ladder. You know, it's important whether you want a left boarding or a right boarding or a front boarding. And then we provide a system that attaches these either to the seawall at your house or to the docks. We don't think that these should be tied with ropes like traditional boats. So the bracket system that we developed it allows a post to be set into the ground, underground, underwater, I'm sorry. And the boat literally floats up and down. Right. There's very little sway. So as far as like the daily wind and, and surge and, you know, the, the current from other boats, we've, we've, we find a way to mitigate that. So it's not really an uncomfortable experience. And what about the delivery schedule? I'm sure this is not going to be uh, delivered overnight. Uh, what are we looking at if somebody places an order? Uh, how much of well, a time lag is there until delivery? So, Phil, we're actually doing a production run now. We're taking eight to 12 weeks. You know, materials are having a hard time lately uh, coming in, but we can deliver between eight to 12 weeks from delivery, from uh, contract date. All right. So now let's take a look at an, another angle of this, because I'm sure you're aware uh, of all the negativity there will be to this kind of an idea. There's a lot of folks who have paid a lot of money for their high rise not to see any of these houseboats near the coast. How are you planning to get around that? How are you planning to sway people's minds that this is a, a good idea? Phil, so, so thankfully, uh, being in South Florida, you and I, uh, you may be aware, King Tide is actually back this yeah. year. It's a little longer to come in than usual. So um, uh, there's a couple points that I wanted to make as far as King Tide because we all see this happening. A lot of people just don't know that there's actually terminology that not only designates what's happening, but it can, it can kind of forecast the reoccurrence of these things. So right. the sunny day flooding, you know, sunny day flooding in South Florida last year surpassed 20 days. That was a record. We've never had that much sunny day flooding. And that's when, you know, the, the tidal changes will make the streets flood even on a cloudless sunny day. So we're flooding from underneath, not from right. rain. So last year we broke the record on that. This year, they expect it to be something along those lines in, in above 20 days. I think that all these condominium residents, when they start to realize that they're spending, you know, more than a month underwater, that there are issues that they cannot fix simply by throwing money at them. You know, you cannot pay to buy submerged land rights because everything will be submerged eventually. So I think people will start to come around and say, you know, if I can afford it, this is a good option to mitigate some of the 
disasters of temporal flooding. And I think people in South Florida are starting to become aware that this is more of a reoccurrence every year. I mean, I, I had never seen what happened last year. And our, well, we live on the water. The king tide last year, this year it just started. But last year we had over one foot above the seawall, above the stairs. I mean, our deck was underwater. So I think people who might be opposed to it slowly will come around to it. Um, you, you might be aware, Phil, also that NASA and NOAA have already designated that in the year 2023, the moon, as part of its regular cycle, uh, it does like an elliptic. So it's what they call a wobble. That's guaranteed it's coming. I mean, it's a, it's a forecast that happens every 18 and a half years. When that happens, they're expecting an additional two feet of tide surge in addition to all the sea level rise we're facing. And this is only two or three years away from now. So everyone is acting like maybe this is, uh, see, I'm not a doomsdayer, but everyone is acting like maybe this is an occurrence that's not going to ever happen in our lifetime. And, and honestly, all the data and the facts point otherwise. So I, I wanted to bring you up to date with something. The um, NASA has put out a flooding days projection tool. So they've got a website where you can tell it, you know, more or less where you live based on certain cities. And it will tell you, depending on what year you look at, how many days are forecasted to be underwater. So for Virginia Key, which is the closest city that they have on the flooding projection tool, Virginia Key is supposed to have approximately 100 days of flooding by the year 2040. So 100 days of the year, Virginia Key should be at some sort of, you know, above ground flooding. But by the year 2060, which is, is still in our lifetime, I hope, Phil, um, <laughs> we're supposed to have over 300 days of annual flooding. So the data is there. They're telling us that Virginia Key will slowly disappear. And we're not really making any accommodations for that. So it's not just one party that's telling us. Everyone across the board, NASA's doing it, NOAA's doing it. I mean, there's so much information. The Army Corps of Engineers put out a draft, um, a draft copy of what they recommend for Miami-Dade County. And in their suggestions, what they mostly focused on was building a 20-foot seawall around downtown Miami. So the six miles that encompass downtown Miami, they recommend putting up a 20-foot concrete seawall to protect the financial district. You know, there's trillions of dollars there of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But everybody else is on their own. They do not have anything they can do for the rest of South Florida. So they've made some suggestions. They're saying we should start to build houses on stilts like they do in other places. That's a good one. They're saying that electrical boxes need to be raised, you know, over 10 feet above the water level so that when we have regular floods and the floods recede, we don't have to replace all the electronics and the electrics. But what they're really saying is take care of something. We can't help everybody. So I do envision that cities like Miami and others that are on the coast will have to get used to a sort of Venezia-like living arrangement where right. part of the year, you, you know, you use your boat and part of the year you use your car. And, you know, you, you know, high land in Miami is getting very, very sought after. The areas near Wynwood, all those areas over town that were previously not really sought after, those areas have become like bidding wars because everyone knows that is the, the, the high ground in Miami. So there, there's so much information out there that for someone to say, you know, the, the aesthetic of having houseboats undoes the, the benefit, that's not a good argument. Well, we know oh, the science is there, the facts are there, that sea level rise will continue to happen, climate change will continue to happen. Uh, it's really up to us as uh, citizens uh, of um, this great nation 
to really start thinking forward and start breaking the the the, the binds that have kept us, you know, in this uh, mentality of uh, of no change. And I think your option is a good option on the table. I think it would be one of many. I think that there are many great ideas out there that we should incorporate as we move forward here in South Florida. Uh, but I really want to thank you, Michael, for taking the time today to give us a little idea of what the Hauser boat uh, is like. And uh, I hope that people take a look at it because honestly, it's, it's, it's an option of how to deal with the future here in South Florida. Thank you again for taking time. Thank you, Phil. Have a nice day. I appreciate you. All right. You too. Bye. Next week on Whether or Not. You know, now that we understand the context of Venus, of, you know, global warming, climate change, and also right. looking at finding other planets out there that's very similar to Venus, uh, we want to go back and try and re with modern tools uh, to understand, you know, uh, how, how Venus evolved. It's been decades since any U.S. spacecraft has visited our sister planet Venus. Now, NASA has not one, but two missions planned. When will they launch? That's in our next episode on November 16th. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7Weather and, of course, live on air at WSVN7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.